Hello and welcome to the Race to Speak Up podcast. I am your host, Devin Moore. Today's guest is James Gibson. James was 23 years old when he was forced to confess to a double homicide he did not commit. He was sentenced to a life in prison without parole. James began to study law while in prison and embarked on a mission to prove his innocence. After nearly 30 years of imprisonment, an appellate court vacated his conviction in 2019 and gave him a certificate of innocence. James also attributes his mother as the source of his strength and resilience throughout this, his whole ordeal. Thank you for joining us today, James. It's really good for you to be a guest on my podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Deb. Yeah, so why don't you just start us off by, like, just tell us your whole story. Tell us everything that happened. Well, um, wow, where do I begin? Um, I was like any other young person um, um, trying to uh, get a, a sense of direction. I had just uh, started college. I had um, took off a year, then I started college, and um, I was planning on getting married. Um, my girl was in the Army at that time, and um, my mother had did the best that she could to try to raise me right, keep me away from drugs, gangs, and and those type of things. Um, my mother was different from other mothers. Uh, she was deaf, she couldn't hear. Um, and so uh, as a child, uh, um, I couldn't understand or relate to the fact that uh, my mother couldn't hear when I became conscious. You know what I'm saying? You know, as a child, you know what I'm saying? You don't know. And so um, I never had that relationship or communications, but my mother, uh, with the best of the ability that she had back then, uh, uh, she always tried to instill in me, you know, uh, love when she could communicate with me. Um, like I said, um, my mother couldn't hear and at that time. They didn't have a, a title or a prognosis for it. They, they didn't have titles like they got now, um, handicap or disability, you know what I'm saying? Back then they had, they was, they, they was called it crazy, retarded, strange, different, weird, you know what I'm saying? Um, dumb, you know what I mean? But uh, my mother always, when she could communicate with me, would say, uh, just love and don't judge people. And so um, um, I was raised when I became conscious to uh, be her ears, you know what I'm saying? Because she couldn't hear. And so when somebody would speak, I would uh, try to communicate it to her. Um, I would have to repeat it three times. I would try to communicate it back to her. And so then I was uh, taken from my mother. Uh, the uh, Police uh, falsely uh, raided my mother's uh, home, and uh, I, I I was called to go there for legal reasons. I'm not, I can't go into too many details because I'm litigating still. Um, and I was placed in uh, false. I was placed in prison. Uh, I didn't know at the time that uh, um, that they didn't have me um, in the system. If you can understand that, I had been uh, uh, in prison for uh, 30 years almost. And uh, they didn't have me even being, you know, registered or, uh, or put into the system. The story is so, is so strange. They knew when they arrested me, they had the wrong guy, but they said it was me. They knew that first of all. Uh, 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 they beat me and tortured me and burned me and broke my ribs for 98 hours. And then they released me. Uh, my sister at the time, uh, she was um, in the military, and um, it just was a 
uh, uh, blessing, so to speak. She happened to have a military stop in Illinois before she left the country. And uh, me and my brother, my oldest brother, he's now uh, deceased, and several other uh, 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 residents uh, were in custody. I didn't know that they were in custody. I just I was just hearing a lot of screaming and hollering or whatever it may have been. I didn't know I had came in contact with the world famous um, road cop um, John Lieutenant John Burgess. Uh, um, I didn't know anything about this. And I was like I said I was home on a um, college break, and uh, uh, I end up um, being stolen, taken away uh, uh, from my mother and from, from society for thirty years, and. Uh, it's a long, it's a long, crazy story, but nevertheless, um, I was uh, placed in uh, prison. And my mother, uh, as I said, she couldn't hear. She would come and see me uh, up to her body, couldn't take anymore. She died um, the first 12 years into my false imprisonment. But she would come every week on the bus and um, she would dance with me. And she would tell me, uh, read everything, read everything. She said, if you wanna have something from a person of color skin, they put it in the book. She said, but you got to get all that other stuff out your heart and love. Don't judge nobody. Get it out your heart and you coming home and you coming home, but you got to read everything. They're going to, they're going to make you, they're going to take from you about 20 years. She actually told me that. And I was kind of like, you know, how do you grasp that at that, in that, at that moment in your life when you've been stolen, you don't know what's going on. You, you're trying to explain to, I mean, I tried to explain to everybody I possibly met. I wrote 10,000 letters to the nation. I wrote every legal outlet, every media outlet, every senator, congressman, state's attorney, United Nations, every president of the United States, every lieutenant governor, governors, ABC, NBC, every media, Time magazine, every media, every innocent project in the world. I wrote James Gibson. I mean, I didn't know what else to do but to, to read and write what my mother told me. That's the only thing she could tell me. She couldn't teach me anything. I couldn't call on the phone and get that extra um, education, so to speak, that extra conference, so to speak, that extra knowledge, wisdom, guidance. You know what I'm saying? I, I couldn't get any of those things because I couldn't communicate with my mother. You know what I'm saying? And, and once I was taken from her presence and we couldn't communicate from that point because we couldn't communicate really at that point, I couldn't call on the phone to communicate at no point. And so, um, uh, but every time I did see her, she would tell me, just read everything, read everything. Because if they're trying to hide something, they're going to put it in the book. And so I read everything and I wrote everything and I found everything and I self-educated myself. And I became what they call a, a jailhouse lawyer. And I, in the process, I was filing uh, motions to the appellate courts, to the Supreme Courts, to the United States Supreme Court, the Courts of Appeal, the Seventh Circuit, the Federal Habeas Corpus, the State Habeas Corpuses, the Governor's Office, clemencies, conviction terrorism units. I was just filing motions year after year. I've been in court filing motions ever since 1990. I'm still in court filing motions to this day. Just a couple of days ago, I filed the most historical motion this country has ever seen in the back in the 50 business um, men and religious leaders in Illinois, what they call a Minkus Curie brief. But I filed motions for all of the prison system at the same time that I was filing motions for myself. I filed thousands of motions for the Puerto Ricans, the blacks, the whites, the, the, the Aryan nations, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Jamaicans, the, 
the Chinese, the Japanese, and one too many Indians incarcerated, one too many Japanese or, or, or Chinese people. You know, I kind of find that kind of hard, strange. In the United States, you know, there's not that many Chinese, Japanese, or Indians locked in prison. That's kind of strange to me. But nevertheless, I filed thousands of motions for other inmates around me as I self-taught and educated myself. And since I've been uh, given three reversals. I'm James Gibson one, I'm James Gibson two, I'm James Gibson three. I'm the first African American citizen in this nation history in 309 years that ever had a ruling. No dissension, collaborating proven since the bottom of slavery. I am now what they call the Corinthian here in Illinois. If your kids are in high school before they graduate, they got to know who James Gibson one, two, and three is in order to graduate and be certificate of graduate of high school. I've set president for the first time in this nation history in 309 years as, um, as they now build the Torture Justice Memorial Foundation next to our former president, Barack Obama. And I also control the Jewish distance subject matter of the Torture Center. And now I am the founder of the Clara and the James Gibson Foundation, as well as I'm James Grant Consultant Legally in Illinois, James Grant Publishing and 360 photo booth and a host of other things. Well, James, first I wanna say, I'm really sorry that you even went through all of that. I mean, just hearing your story and listening to you, it honestly lets me know of the injustices in this society, which I've been known of, especially as a black person. And it's just like the realness of it, you know? Like how, how did, okay, I want to dive deep into a lot of different things because I know now you're go, you have the Clara Foundation, you have a lot of other stuff you, that you haven't even yet to mention. I know you have a lot going on, but why don't we start off with like the mental like aspects of when you were in prison? Like how did it affect your mental? Well, you know, uh, I'm still dealing with um, how I affect my mental. Um, all my life I've been bullied. You know what I'm saying? All my life I've been uh, judged. All my life I've been ridiculed. All my life, all my life I've been slapped, beat on, tortured, molested. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 you know what I'm saying? My mother. You know what I'm saying? All her life that I knew of, she'd been beat, tortured, bullied, spit on, judged because she couldn't hear. Nobody know what it was. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said, "Hey, excuse me, Devin. Excuse me, Devin. You don't answer." Then they wanted. You know what I'm saying? So they, you know, back like I said, I come from that era, but. Through all of that, I, my mother instilled in me what she could. She never complained. Only way I can explain to you why I ain't lose my mind and why I ain't crazy and no psychotropic medication, no drugs. You know, I never used drugs my whole life. I never took any uh, foreign substance my whole life. I never succumbed to bullying when I was a young teenager my whole life. My whole life. I'm not a, I've never indulged in drinking alcoholic beverages my whole life. I never indulged in using drugs my whole life. And so my mother had always instilled in me, if I complain and don't do nothing, I, I'm still just gonna be complaining. You know what I'm saying? If, if, so I had that as, if when I became knowledgeable and conscious enough what was going on with me and my mother and she couldn't hear and I could and she was the parent and I was a child and all the other stuff, she never complained. And so I just was raised you know, even when they did what they did to me and how they did to me that I didn't even know how they did to me and what they did to me, I didn't have time to complain. And when my mother passed away the first 12 years of my life, 
it was like a shift for me. She's like, you know what I'm saying? She was still ministering to me. She was still uh, mothering to me. She was still coming to me. I still meet my mother to this day, every year at an ocean somewhere around the world. I don't know if they've seen any of the videos. You know what I'm saying? I go to a place and my mother, she comes. And if you see the videos, there's no trick cameras or none of that. Love is more powerful than death. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I don't care what religion you choose to call him. He goes by many names. I cannot explain to anybody, the public, the doctors, you know, they, they, they rewriting me now. I'm a new species, so to speak, for them to try to understand me. You know, I've been rewriting history for the, for the last 33 years. But to, to explain um, why, that's what they trying to understand about me now, why I'm so humble. You know, let me tell you something. Uh, in Illinois, in the prison system, I never talked to anyone. I just used to help and file. They, you know, I had to sit alone and they, they used to approach me because I always had a pen and books and stuff. So I guess people automatically took that I was trying to do something different. And so I never got caught up in all of it. You know, I was in the max prisons, all of the max prisons. I wasn't in any game. I wasn't, I'd never been raped inside prison, robbed, stabbed, beat up, extorted. And I wasn't in the game. I never sat at any table. All I did was rope, 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 write, write, reading books. I didn't have time. As I said, I wrote 10,000 letters to this nation. And now it's been proven that I wrote 10,000 letters to this nation because they have copies of all those letters that I wrote to the nation. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have time to be mad and wondering about what's going on and how they feel because what they've been doing to us in this nation is policies. Housing, education, transportation, Medicaid, welfare, uh, 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 mental health, you know what I'm saying, uh, 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 abortions, all these things are policies. And how they're able to keep us at bay with this racism and all this separatism is policies. And so once I've learned um, the Constitution, you know, I graduated high school as well, you know what I'm saying, I was already well read then. You know what I'm saying? So once I learned that I am a United States citizen and that I have, I'm guaranteed rights up under the Constitution, even though when you become convicted, whether you falsely convicted or not, you lose uh, most of your rights to the guarantee the Constitution, but you retain the Eighth and the Fourteenth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, get guarantees you access to the courts for your due process if you are American citizen. The 14th Amendment allows you due process, equal protection of the law, and a fair trial, and your rights to be confronted when you're accused. But you lose all the others because you've been convicted in your system. So I didn't have, once my mother told me that I had to get all these things out of my heart, my mother never taught me hate. You know what I'm saying? And she never complained. And she couldn't hear it. And so that was instilled in me as a little child. So when I met people, all I was looking for is what you were saying out your mouth so that I can try to help and repeat it to my mother because she could not hear it. But you know, so, so it was kind of hard trying to balance that out until I became conscious of, of that. And then when they took me, she came, like I said, every week on the bus. She couldn't hear. And she would find me somewhere in the system. And she first thing she would tell me is, get all that out your heart. Don't be mad. And so when she passed away, it, it, it dawned on me that, Whoa, you know what I'm saying? How can I not get this out of my heart? How can I, you know, how can I prove myself? I have no help. I got no guidance, nobody to teach me. I got no nobody I can talk to 
know what I'm saying? And so she just told me everything you find, everything you see, read, read it, read it, read it. So I just used to order and order. And, and, and so once I found out about bookstores, I read everything. And so I didn't have time to be mad because I, when, I, when I got through doing my schedule, right now I had a program. I would write 20 letters a day. Then I had another time that I would that I would minister to the to the to the law and, and apply it to other people's cases. And then I was filing my own litigation. And at that, and after that, it's the next day. So imagine turning on Oprah Winfrey back in those days, because I miss all the Oprah Winfrey days. I heard about Oprah Winfrey, I read about Oprah Winfrey and all that other stuff. And imagine uh, Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time, playing basketball, but I never seen him but a few times play in his whole career because I was writing. I was writing letters. I didn't have time to enjoy. I didn't have time to be mad. I didn't have time to be sad. I didn't have time to have feelings. I had to learn how to turn off my emotions or I'd have went crazy. You know what I'm saying? I had been bullied all my life and now I've been stolen and kidnapped and I'm trying to figure out why. I didn't have time to say to myself, why me? You know what I'm saying? Because it was policies that was put in place that, that took me like that. And I'd have had to, and I had to learn and understand what these policies was that had me in the positions I had. I didn't know that they that they even had me false in prison. You know what I'm saying? I didn't even know that I had been in prison all those years without even being entered into the system. You know what I'm saying? But if I had not been reading and writing and filing through the door, like I said, I started filing my motions and, and stuff in 1990. I was arrested in false prison in 1989. Four or five days, four or five days later, I didn't even know that they didn't put me in the system because I'm in the system. I didn't know that they didn't have any profile or stars or markings on me. I didn't know nothing about all that. I didn't know nothing about, I, could, I had a right to file an appeal to the Supreme Court. I didn't know anything about that. But once I went into a law library and I saw a program on TV, I don't know if the audience is old enough to know. It was called Perry Mason. And he was an old, back in the 30s, they had an old black and white show called Perry Mason. He was annoying. And he said, objection, y'all. I want to file a motion. And that one thing clicked in my mind, objection. I had been in court and they were like, sustain our thought. When I went back into the courtroom, I asked the judge, what that mean? Objection, old rules, the status report continued by agreement and all that. He said, we talked to you. Lord. I said, I'm asking you because I'm a citizen. I want to know. So I, you know, I'm asking questions. I asked a lot of questions. You know what I'm saying? Because I was self-learning myself. I self-educated myself all the way through high school and college and, and false imprisonment to, the, to this day. I self-educated myself because I didn't have no parents to teach me. So I didn't have time to be mad. The only thing I can remember is get that out your heart. So y'all have to come up with, the public is trying to come up and the scientists and the doctors and all of them, they're trying to come up with what am I? How did I? How did I become? You know, they ask me questions. Who are you? Where did you come from? Those type of questions. And how did you make it through the system? You know, I came in a prison system where if you wasn't in a gang, you had to pay rent to be locked up, even though they put you in prison. Did you know that? I came in the prison system where the BDs, the GDs, the Stones, the Vice Lords, the Aaron Nations, the Vikings, the Swastikas, they ran the system. And I've never been touched or harmed. I can't explain why I wasn't extorted and raped and intimidated and beat up and all this thing. All I did was stay to myself. I didn't talk to a lot of people. I didn't get in nobody's business and I studied and I, and I helped everybody that I came across. So I didn't have time. I'm not mad to this day. And they want to know why you're not crazy. You know what I'm saying? They said the average person would be crazy. I can't explain to what God 
can do. I can just tell you that he's still in control and that it had to be a God because he comes down and he still talks to us. I can just tell you that uh, I'm a miracle. If you want to believe in miracles, believe in that I, James Gibson on the land is a miracle. I mean, it's, that's no other way I can explain it. Being in a cell with a 400 pound, 300 pound man, and he's on the top bunk and I'm on the bottom bunk. I can't explain. I can't explain. All I can tell you is God's still in control and that the mind is a terrible thing to waste. So yeah, James, I mean, I know you're talking about it. Like we had all, we really do have all these policies and then those policies are built off of all these like systems that really have a lot of like racism in it, like the policing system, the, the justice system, as we obviously know in your case, we have the healthcare system, like all these different things that you're mentioning. So do you think there's a way that we could fix that fix all these injustices within all these different systems and policies? The system, the, to me, from I, what I've come to understand about the system is that the system is put in place so there will be a system. But how we get in and start um, dismantling, dismantling the system is, for example, um, we talked about um, um, my um, Clara and Jane Gifford Foundation. It's, it's a digital archives of all of these atrocities across America in collaboration with my center. But the policy of the police shoes across the nation. Did you know that if um, an officer engages you and he shoots you, right? For whatever reason it may be, right? Or whatever the cause may be, right? In their policy, it states that if an officer perceives a threat in their mind, now who to say that you receive, receive a threat or not in your mind because of the policy? Now, here's another thing about things of the policies and racism and how it keep us separated. In the same policy, it said that you know that when an officer is involved in discharging his weapon, he goes, they, his commander tells him on the scene, go home. The commander doesn't um, say, um, let me test you and see if you're up under influence or medication or alcohol or drugs, or let's go back to the police station to get your, um, let's go back to headquarters or the station to get your report. Did you know the policy tells the commander to tell the officer that's involved in the shooting, go home. Then the other policy is once you go home, you go to a lockbox and you get the policy which instructs you what to say in the shooting report. And in that shooting report, it tells you that if you say you perceive a threat in your mind, then that's justified with shooting in that policy. Did you know that? So a lot of people don't know that. They get so outraged about these shootings, right, across the nation. And then they get so caught up in emotions and passion, but they don't know about the policy that's been in play for an officer to continue, 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 continue. So let me tell you about the policies. Up on the James Grant Consulting, this is what I do for, been doing for 33 years. Um, once that policy is initiated from that officer from home in that box, the state's attorney or the district attorney reads his reports after that. And in that report, as it says in there, he perceived or she perceived a threat of a thought of danger. Then that's when it goes to shift. It starts shifting. Then you start getting a lot of cases where there's been a lot of media coverage and you put a lot of pressure on them. And then they start coming out to me, yeah, yeah, we're going to investigate that. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. But a lot of times, 90% of the time, if there's nobody talking about it, they just gonna sweep it under the rug because the policy guaranteed them the rights to due process and protection of the law. You know, that's actually really, well, 
it's pretty interesting that you bring that up. It's just because of the fact that like I've seen over time or for like the last few years that people are really starting to more and more people are starting to really dive deep into like what does this mean? What do these laws mean? What do these policies mean? What do such and such mean? But we still have all these discrepancies and injustices within them. We need something done. I feel that people have come a long way with, you know, there are more and more people embracing themselves, embracing who they are and their identity, but we still have these justice systems that are not so embracing of that. They are, and like you're saying, like, that's so, that's just like crazy to hear. Although I actually, I did kind of notice that like where if the police officer sees the person as a threat or perceives them as a threat, then they're going to be more likely to shoot. But it's just like, when it comes to racism, that racist, whether it be a racist, a racist white person, once they see your black skin color, that's perceived as a threat. So just you physically being there, they're just going to want to shoot you. They're just going to want to do whatever to you. So that's why we've been challenging across the nation qualified immunity in all 52 states. And so now in this state, we've got a policy that was changed to try to encourage some of the unjustifiable shootings up under these policies that we're trying to attack now. And that one policy is that, that um, um, most officers um, engage um, Black uh, people of color skin and they come to the car, so to speak, and they say, uh, roll down your window. So for his example, roll down your window. And then the officer say, I smell uh, a foreign substance. So now that's proper cause. You see what I'm saying? So now we have attacked the policy of, uh, if, if they roll down the window, say for example, a young teenager, a young person of color smoking marijuana, you know, in this state, marijuana is legal. In some states it's legal. So now the police cannot use that policy as justification for when they pull over a young person of color skin or whatever and say, I smell marijuana. So now I'm gonna, you know, up a gun, shit, get out the car. So we challenging these policies as we go along. And that's curving, just like another policy that um, we was challenging from New York State. And New York State, uh, search, and, search and seizure fritz, you know what I'm saying? Because they targeted African-American. And see, this is how racism is able to embed into the fibers of this great nation through the policies. See, we, see you, you, we're not gonna be able to ever get rid of racism because racism is, exists on all levels, black on black, white on white, Hispanics on Hispanics, you know what I'm saying? Everybody got a little taste of something going on with themselves. I'm not saying individuals like yourself, but I'm saying it's a collective group of people. They use racism and they cover it up with the policies. So once we once you learn how to get into the policies, then you can start to dismantle these undercover racism and their policies because you're not gonna ever be able to take if somebody don't like you, Devin, they just don't like you. You can't you can't take that away from somebody's own choice, freedom of choice. I don't like you. I don't like how you look. I don't like what you are, but that's their problem. That's their hang up. But the policies is the one that create all of the problems, so to speak, the unjustification because they stand behind their racist belief and now they govern it by policies on the greatest country on earth from sea to shiny sea. And so that's why I've been trying to dismount these policies for the last 33 years, like juvenile sentences, like lineup suggestions, you know, I dismantle the line of suggestions here in Illinois. You know, in Illinois, they would take young people of color skin and they would put them in a line that would everybody look different from them. So here's an example, the policy. If you're a suspect or you just picked up out of nowhere and somebody said that it was a black guy, it was this, and they gave a description at the, the, the initial investigative street report, right? And so they come and they gather, say they gather me or they gather you. 
and they put us in a, in a lineup, right? If I got, if you got on that blue shirt, Devin, I got on this gray sweat. Everybody in the lineup supposed to have on that same blue shirt. That's a policy. Everybody in the lineup, you got your hair tapered off to the side, or you got waves, or you got dreadlocks, or you got braids. Everybody in the lineup must have the same identical almost to the same. You know what I'm saying? If, if they saying it's a suspect that was approximately five feet six to five feet nine, everybody in the lineup got to be in that same category. So this is how you dismantle racism policy. Do that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? So if I'm pulled over to a lineup and, and they say the suspect was a bald-headed guy, right? Then everybody, while I'm going to be in a lineup, I'm the only guy with a bald head. Those are policies that are covered up with racism on this on this finest. Another example is this: a policy that uh, President Barack Obama uh, put in play when he was president here in Illinois. I mean, from Illinois, he put in a policy that when a, a, a person of color skin, if you're taken into custody and questioned, and you go to a certain room, it automatically a camera automatically comes on that the outside of that entity cannot control. And that, and then therefore you initiated your due process, a law by they gotta tell you, you know, you gotta write some main silence, and then you gotta say yes or no. Then they say, Do you know if you can't, do you got a lawyer? They, then you say no. They say, Do you know we can appoint your lawyer? They got to tell you that now because of the policy that our former President Obama implemented back in the days. So when it's a homicide. So these are policies that we've been dismantling and dismantling chipping away at in Illinois. And I'm trying to teach the nation, just like right now where you live at, if, if somebody riding up and down the block at a speed that you feel that's not safe for the kids, you can write up a policy and put a stop sign right there or a speed bumper right there to slow down. And if they break that law, then they can be dealt with up under those policies. We have to learn how to challenge these policies. We're never gonna get rid of racism and separatism, but we can dismantle policies for changes slowly but surely, because we're still talking about the same policies for the last hundred years. And protesting is a great way, peacefully protesting is a great way to challenge those policies. I know that we've had Black Lives Matter um, and all these protests, which unfortunately, there are a lot who, oh, there are those protests, some of those protests, what I'm trying to say, that have like, turned into like murders and stuff. But the thing is, I haven't necessarily found it within the people who want to protest and peacefully protest because they're trying to peacefully protest. I found it within the, a lot of the police officers and a lot of those, um, you know, those uh, those people who go to the protest, like pretending to be a supporter when in reality, they actually are slowly like trying to create violence within that too. You know what I'm saying? They got a lot of plants. They put a lot of plants in these type of different organizations to dis to dis um, credit um, the ability for them to carry out their, uh, their the, the process of bringing awareness to these issues. But I'm gonna tell you something about rallying. You know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, um, I don't mind rallying, but I don't do no rallying. I'm not, I'm not you don't see James Gifford walking up and down the street with no sign. I do my rallying and protesting with the pen because after we get through marching and rallying peacefully then we got to implement policy because we can, we've been rallying and marching since Martin Luther King. We shall overcome. And we have, we just got the, the, the biggest outcry with the Black Lives Movement with the George Floyd um, uh, ruling and, and stuff and verdict and, and all that stuff. But yet still the policy still in play in certain places. So after we get through marching, 
and protesting peacefully, what do we do next? The people disperse and they go about their lives. And then we still in this, wherever you at in the world, we still in what we in. Did nothing change other than we had a moment, just like we went into an event and they were singing and flower bringing. And then after all that's over with, the average person won't even call you and say, how you doing the next day? The average person won't even acknowledge you on the street when they see you. So I, I don't do a lot of marching and rallying because that ain't me, that ain't what I do. I do the litigate and I file abstract. I challenge briefs and, and policies and, and I put in bills. So after we get through marching, we got to learn how to litigate and dismantle these policies that's in play. Because that's like you said, they put people inside these marches to disrupt them and give it a bad name, whether it's a peaceful or whatever, to probably get told up. Then after all that is said and done, what do we do? So if we're gonna march on something, we got to start marching at what hurts them the most, the pocket. One thing I found out about these great states of the United States, that when you start getting in their pocket, they start changing these policies. When you start writing laws and, and, and abstracts and, and bills, they start getting in the pocket because no matter what, that racism is never gonna defeat due process and even protection of the law. Never. You can look at the women's rights movement, you can look at the LGBT community movement. You can look at the healthcare Medicaid movement. You can look at the transportation movement. You can look at uh, 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 all these policies that they've been talking about for the last 50 years. Every policy that they had implemented in this country, it took a mass movement and rally, like you said, but it also took creativeness to legislate policy change with that period. You're really, you're, everything you're saying is so true. And just the fact that like, you even brought up, you know, getting into their pockets, because I believe in that, you know, we need to get into their pockets. Once we get into their pockets, taking their money, you know, even with like def defunding the police, that will get them to, that'll get them to listen up and say, or at least start to think that we need to change something. That'll at least start to get them to change the something. And, you know, something else that like, just by you talking is that, like just I guess I started thinking about was really just like it's almost as if like for every good there's always evil that's what I I think with everything unfortunately just because of you know being in modern day society or just society in general and seeing all these different things for every good there's evil so it's almost like when it comes to the Black Lives Matter um, movement we had the Black Lives Matter and then there were people of other mindsets who were like oh, but blue lives matter, when, or all lives matter, when in reality, if they're saying blue lives matter, blue lives, that's just oh, you putting on a uniform, being a police, that's not your skin color. Black lives, with black lives, that's your skin color, that's your ethnicity, that's your cultural background, that's where you came from, you know? And then it's even with like, when they're saying all lives matter, if all lives mattered, then that includes black lives too. That includes Asian lives. That includes all these different types of things. But People aren't, not everyone, there are a lot of people who don't understand that. There are a lot of people who are just kind of quick to snap back and quick to use the power that they already have, the privilege that they already have, and, you know, taking all that privilege, taking all that power to hurt whoever they don't like. And those who they don't like can be a person of color, any person of color. That's why we have so much police brutality, you know, even with you're going back to like changing uh, these policies, we really need to change how they're taught, how these police are taught to handle people of color. When they see a black person, don't be so quick to pull out your gun and shoot them. 
you know, when you see an Asian person, they'll be so quick to say this, this, and this to that, you know, like all these different types of things. Even, even like, sorry, now it's kind of making me think also about this. When people say all cops are bad, I don't think, for the people who are so quick to retaliate to that, one, they may just be a part of the problem. And two, I don't think they fully understand what that means. We're not, uh, well, for the people who say all cops are bad, they're not necessarily saying specifically each and every cop are bad. What they're actually saying is the police system is built off of a bad system, which is racism. The policing system is built off of racism. And that's why they're saying it's all bad. All that racism is obviously bad. So when it's in a police system, the police officers are being taught that they're being trained from that. That's why they're saying all cops are bad. So that's just kind of like a whole nother thing you're making me think about. There's so many injustices that even I, as a young Black person, am seeing and have to learn about. Us as Black people, like parents, uh, Black parents have to teach their Black children, or these parents have to teach their Black children, oh, oh, it's like when you go out, make sure not to put your hood on. When you go out, make sure you have all your ID on you. All these different types of things. We have Trayvon Martin. We have um, we have George Floyd, we have Breonna Taylor, all these different things, people who are just being shot up in their own homes. And then we have even you, James, who you really had to fight for your way out. You wrote up these laws, you wrote up all these letters, everything, you know, to really help not only yourself, but help others. We should be helping each other, but we shouldn't have all these disgusting and disturbed obstacles in our way. We're all humans. We're gonna always have, we're gonna always have, um, obstacles in our way on um, that we're going to always be judged we're going to uh, uh, if you go back to um in history um uh, 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 um abraham lincoln when they finally settled the thing about slavery so to speak he said that um in a speech one day he said um as long he said he said as long as y'all over here my blue-eyed brothers ain't gonna never see y'all speak now bring it back up to speed when you talk about Black Lives Matter and while um, they talk about blue eyes and all lives matter. Make no mistake about it, James Gibson, uh, my sister's a cop, my brother's a cop. I got cops in my family. I'm not saying that all police officers are bad. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that the policies make them bad. You know what I'm saying? The policies from beginning was to make them keep us at bay and separation throughout the generation. And now we have been dismantling these policies for the last hundred years. And now we're at the pivotal moment in history where we're at that last policy. You know what I'm saying? Um, did you know this nation is the only nation where they train officers the less in any other country in the world? We the officers can become officer overnight almost with no little or no training. So we must we must go into, like you said, the training part, the policies, you know what I'm saying? Because once we get the policies right. It don't care no difference about what you, what you feel and how you, what your opinion is and your ideology and your concept. That policy gonna make you stand on law or you gonna be held accountable. See, we not, they're not held accountable because the policy don't allow them to be held accountable. Just like right now, I just won in this state, Barfricate. For the first time in this history in 390, do you know what Barfricate is? Barfricate is I am entitled to the city, the county and the state compensation and all of their dead assets as well, their estates, you know what I'm saying? That's big, you know what I'm saying? I'm at the policies, you know what I'm saying? Not only did the county do this to me, the state did this to me, and the city, because they was all a part of a pattern of practice, and they had been put on notice, vacation there for 
30, 40 years, y'all been kidnapping African-Americans from the South Side and West Side of Chicago and framing them and putting them in jail. And since then, I've led against them and brought home $1.8 billion since 2005 in settlements, fines, and lawsuits. And now, still to this day, pitted 14 other lawsuits a totaling $475 million. It doesn't make a difference what chief administrative officers in, in the duty or the mayor, they're going to pay. And now myself, at all these years, I never took any compensation. I'm going for the biggest compensation in this history country because I know how to litigate against those policies. So all lives matter, blue lives matter, but right now we're in an issue of black lives matter because we're being the ones that's been challenging and attacked and profiled and murdered and false imprisonment and judged and bullied and separated for the last 300 years. So that's why black lives matter. You know what I mean? And I'm not discriminating against any lives because all lives are important. But what we must challenge in this nation right now is that black lives matter, man. And we trying to save the rest of our, when I was coming up, you absolutely right. And that was 50 some years ago. I was taught, man, run, when you run from the police, don't look back. Don't turn your head, don't reach. When you when the police approach you, don't talk back. Don't sassy them, so to speak. They used to call it. Don't sassy them. Don't 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 get flip mouth with them because they're gonna kill you. And I was taught these things, and now now it's still going on fifty years later. Your parent teacher, son, you go outside. Don't wear no hoodie. Don't put your hands in your pocket. Stay in the light. Stay with some people. So if, if they get at you, somebody get away. You know what I'm saying? This is how we got to train our train, uh, 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 train, bring up and training our kids from birth. You know what I'm saying? This person right here is a threat. Watch where you go over there. You know, these things that we still doing after all these years. So I'm at the policies. And, and, and that's what my foundation is about, the policies and teaching people how to attack the policies and, and, and teaching people the power they have over their elected officials, their legislators, their congressmen, their senators, their rep representatives, their city councilmen, their board. You know what I'm saying? All these things are, are issues that you can control. You know what I'm saying? Once you learn how they implement these policies and put them in place, like, so, like we got a big thing going on here with um, the indictment of um, uh, Michael Madigan, one of the most powerful controlling representatives in the state country history, 44 years. He, 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 did, he drew up a policy from a, a community that he lived in, we'll just say hypothetically, 2,000 people, right? Right? He know everybody in the community, 2,000 people, right? He gets to vote and get in office and stay in office for 43 years to control the whole, the whole state with policy. You know what I'm saying? Because he done drew up a map, said, all my friends, Devin, you my friend, you vote for me, you vote for me, and I'm going to go in, I'm going to See, these are policies, zoning, district, all this stuff plays a part of separation and suppressing of separation. We must learn how to attack these policies, Devin. If we don't, they're going to they gonna put somebody else in play. His daddy, daddy, daddy going to be in play. His sister, 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 daughter gonna be in play. Grandfather, the end. These how policies are implemented because the people that's uh, addressing these policies make no mistake about it. They they've been doing these things from their from generations. James, this has been truly a really great conversation. I'm honestly because you're really a wise a wise person. Like I honestly have learned a lot from you. I remember when we even had that event. Um, we also had an event for those who don't know where James and, um, or excuse me, James had a competition for people to draw the cover of his um, song for his mom. 
And um, so that's really where I was getting to hear also hear more about him. And just beyond that, we've talked beyond that. And every other, every time it's always been an honor just to hear from you, James, and like hear the work that you're continuing to do, the positive change that you've been working to make for so long. I know this world really needs, I know this world really needs it. I know this world also really needs for more and more people to listen, but I truly appreciate you joining me today, James. Um, and yeah, this has been a really thank good you, talk. Thank you, Devin. And also, if I may add, you can tell, uh, I would like to tell the audience that they can follow me on uh, YouTube. I got a YouTube channel and it's called James Gibson on the land. And what I do on the land, I go around the world and I just teach people about policies and events and I, and I do um, presses, press conferences and I, I challenge the press, I challenge the courtrooms and I teach um, uh, 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 normal citizens how to file motions and litigate into the city, you know, into the courts. You know, I'm also James Grant Consultant with my Clarence James Foundation. So if they want to follow me and they want, to, and they want any information about how do we dismantle policies anywhere in the world, you can always join me on James Gibson on the land. You also want to see your Facebook real quick? Sure. Well, my Facebook page is um, James Gibson. You know what I'm saying? And uh, on my Facebook page, I, my, I just highlight um, all of the traveling that I'm doing around the world and people that I meet, all the famous people I meet, as well as my um, Instagram, James Gibson 635, where um, I highlight different events and, and I try to um, get an audience, a, a, a different narrative on, on how people are living all across the planet because I do a lot of traveling. Awesome. Well, thank you again, James. And thank you to everyone who's listening. I hope to see you guys at future Race to Speak Up podcast events. If you have any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, feel free to contact me at racetospeakup at gmail.com. Follow at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates. Also head over to my website, www.racetospeakup.com and join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Visit www.humanityrising.org for more information. And remember to ask yourself this one question, how do you race to speak up?